you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 28. As we continue in our series, Getting Through the Tough Stuff, I want to address the topic of shattered expectations. At one point or another, I believe all of us have experienced shattered expectations. And for many of us, we still have expectations that may never be met. And many of us have ex expectations concerning things like families. We expected a good marriage. I mean, none of us who are married ever would anticipate anything other than a marriage that would last a lifetime. We stood before a pastor or someone who was officiating our ceremony, and we gave our vows, and we expected that it would last forever. We expected that one day we would have children and be blessed, and we would have all the memories that would go along with that. And then our expectations are somehow in some way shattered. We have expectations about popularity. We expect everyone to like us or to at least respect our opinions and our views and our stances. And we meet people from time to time who say, well, I just totally disagree with you. And it bothers us because we expect people to like us and to care about what we care about and to embrace what we want to embrace and really just like us. And they don't. We have expectations of, like, income. I mean, who of us growing up don't anticipate or expect in some way, as we are teenagers going up into our adult years, that we're going to get that one good job, or maybe even a couple good jobs, that will allow us to have that income that we desire. And then we look back on our lives and we realize that what we had expected just didn't happen. Maybe we had expectations of a position. That if we just put in enough hard work, that somebody's going to notice, and they're going to bump you up into that position that will kind of get you where you want to go in life. And it doesn't happen. Or maybe even things like expectations of hobbies. Maybe you want that hobby that you can travel the world and snorkel the reefs of the world. Who knows? Whatever it is, that hobby that you like. Maybe it's an expectation of things. You know, who doesn't want a four-wheeler? Who doesn't want a snowmobile? Who doesn't want the cabin on the lake? We have expectations of things. And for whatever reasons, your expectations have not been met, and maybe your hopes are forever crushed that they'll ever be met. Let me just tell you, in those kinds of circumstances, one of two things will happen. You'll either get bitter because I can't have what I want, and it will destroy you, or you can surrender to God and say, hey, whatever you want is fine with me. And let me just say, as spiritual as some of you may be, as spiritual as you may be, that's not always easy to get to that point. I want to make a couple of statements before we get into the main part of the message this morning. And the first one is this. God makes no mistakes. None. Not even one. He's never made a mistake, ever. You have to believe that. God never wakes up in the morning, as I've said humorously many times in my life, and say, wow, I did not know that was going to happen today. 
He's a sovereign God. He knows all things. Whether we believe that or not, He knows everything is going to happen. And He's yet to make His first mistake. And secondly, God does everything He does for His own glory. How many times in the Scriptures, especially in the Gospels, does He, does a, does he do a miracle and He looks back and He does it so that my glory will be made known? Everything that God does, everything. You have to believe that he does it for his own purposes and for his own glory. So he's never made a mistake, and he does everything for his own purposes and glory. I'm amazed and blown away as I get into Genesis chapter 28 at the expectations that I think many of us, if we were to put our name into Jacob's slot, where his name is listed, we could find ourselves in some way imagining that that's us. I mean, fill in the blank, whatever expectation you may have. I mean, who of us ever expect, I never expected that, you know, one day that I'm going to grow up, I'm going to have diabetes, and it's going to control my life. Nobody that has a cancer wakes up and says, boy, I expect that this cancer is going to overcome my life. Thank you, Lord. Things happen. But how do we respond to those things? This morning, I'm going to kind of do something a little bit different. I'm going to read a story. I'm going to draw some things out of this story beginning in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 1. So if you would, Genesis chapter 28, and if you would follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. It says, So Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite girl. Go at once to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Marry one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. And may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. I mean, here's this young guy going out and says, don't marry somebody from around here because we all know what the Canaanites are like. They're not the people that we have for you. I want you to go out there. And he says, I'm blessing you. And I'm saying, be fruitful, be multiply. And all of a sudden, Jacob has this idea that, man, great things are going to happen. Right? I can remember leaving my house for the very last time. And I can remember my dad says, basically, I mean, I'm backing out of the driveway. I got my seatbelt on. And he says, he comes out and he does this number. And I get back in there and he goes, see that, see that, see this, see this. Took your mother and I 30 years to get here. Don't think you need it overnight. All right, have a good trip. I will never forget that. But I remember it's as if he was saying, as I left for the last time, just wait on God. Take your time. Don't get into debt. And it's almost like Jacob is being blessed to go out and start your life and be fruitful and be multiplying. He had some great expectations here. So in verse 5, it says, So Isaac sent Jacob to Padanaram, to Laban, son of Bethuel and Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to Padanaram to get a wife there. And when he blessed him, Isaac commanded Jacob, do not marry a Canaanite girl. And Jacob listened to his father and mother and went to Padanaram. And Esau realized that his father Isaac disapproved of the Canaanite women. So Esau went to Ishmael and married, in addition to his other wives, Mahalah, daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, so was the sister of Nebaioth. So he's on his way and he's going and he's just going out and he's, he's, he's enjoying life. I mean, he's starting out. And he's excited about what's going to happen. But he says, you got these certain rules. Don't marry a Canaanite. I want you to go over here and marry one of these people. Look at verse 10. So Jacob at Bethel. Jacob left Beersheba and went forward 
or toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because of the sun had set. He took one of the stones from the place, put it there at his head, and lay down in that place, and he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down on it. And the Lord was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west and the east and the north and the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Can you imagine once again being there in the midst of this dream, and in this dream he says, you're going to get everything. What happens when someone says they're going to do something for you? You begin to believe it, right? I mean, if someone says they're going to give this to you or that to you, you kind of take them at their word. This is what's going to happen. So he's got this grandiose idea of what's going to take place. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, verse 16, he said, surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. He was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I mean, he believed that this dream that he was experiencing and this, this, uh, this dream in which God was telling him all these things were going to happen, he believed that it was real and that it was going to take place. So verse 18, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, if God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give to you a tenth of all that you give me. Let me ask you a question. Let's be honest. You don't have to raise your hand. But how many have ever made a bargain with God before? Yeah, I hear a lot of snickering because I think all of us have done that one time or another. God, if you, then I will. See, God doesn't always work with bargains so well, does he? Because God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, and he doesn't have to do anything if he doesn't want. But he says, God, if you'll do this, I mean, I'm going over there. If you'll give me food to eat, if you'll give me clothes to wear, you'll allow me to get back home, well, then, God, you're, I'm yours. But what if God didn't do any of that? Would you still follow? I mean, what if tomorrow God took away everything that you had? What if he took away your house and you didn't have insurance? What if he smashed your car, allowed your car to be smashed and you didn't have insurance? What if he gave you or allowed in your life a sickness or an illness? Is my following God conditional upon what he may or may not do for me? That's kind of a scary place to be in. Because the best place to be is in the center of God's will. And even if God doesn't do anything for us, He still deserves our obedience for what He has done for us. And it shouldn't be conditional. But look what happens with all these promises that are made, these conditions that He's thrown out. Let's see what happens here in chapter 29 in this story. So Jacob resumed his journey and went to the eastern country. He looked and saw a well in a field. 
Three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it because the sheep were watered from this well. But a large stone covered the opening of the well, and the shepherds would roll the stone from the opening of the well and water the sheep when all the flocks were gathered there. Then they would return the stone to the place over the well's opening. And Jacob asked the men of the well, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they answered. Do you know Laban, grandson of Nahor? Jacob asked them. They answered, We know him. Is he well? Jacob asked. Yes, they said. And here is his daughter Rachel coming with his sheep. Then Jacob said, Look, it is still broad daylight. It's not time for the animals to be gathered. Water the flock, then go out and let them graze. But they replied, We can't until the flocks have been gathered and the stone is rolled from the well's opening. Then we will water the sheep. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. As soon as Jacob saw his uncle Laban's daughter Rachel with his sheep, he went up and rolled the stone from the opening and watered his uncle Laban's sheep. Now stop right there for a minute. Get in your mind's eye what's taking place. He's there. Do you know Laban? Yeah, I know Laban. Oh, by the way, here's his daughter coming. And we can't do anything until the stone is rolled off the well, and then we can get to the... And Jacob looks up and hears Rachel. And he's thinking, let me get the stone for you. Let me just help you out here. But it doesn't just stop as just being Mr. Gentleman all of a sudden. Look what happens. Right away in the beginning, verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel. Wait a minute. I don't see any courtship taking place yet here. I don't say, hey, by the way, what's your name? Boy, we ought we to sit down and talk sometime. Ah, he just reaches out there and, you know, the old AT&T, reach out and touch someone. He reached out and kissed her. I think he's kind of placing, that's my pie right there. I mean, he just doesn't waste any time. I mean, after all, this is why he was out there, right? Trying to find that perfect one. So Jacob kissed Rachel and wept loudly. I mean, this guy must have been overtaken with enthusiasm of some sort. I mean, I saw my wife on campus, and I remember my mom is my witness. I called my mom, and I said, I found the girl I'm going to marry. And she totally disregarded that statement and said, how are your classes going? <laughs> totally. I said, Mom, did you hear me? I heard you, but you said you weren't going to do anything until after your classes were done. Well, that's true, but I didn't sit there and cry, though. I'm just, I found her. Jacob reaches out there and kisses her and starts weeping. And he told Rachel that he was her father's relative, Rebecca's son, and she ran and told her father. But here's where the expectations of life sometimes don't turn out as we expect. Things don't always go as we plan. Things don't always happen as we think they should. Look at verse 12, or verse 13, excuse me. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son Jacob, he ran to meet him, hugged him and kissed him. Then he took him to his house, and Jacob told him all that had happened. And Laban said to him, Yes, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him a month, Laban said to him, Just because you are my relative, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The older was named Leah, and the younger was named Rachel. And Leah had tender eyes, but Rachel was shapely and beautiful. Yeah, can you imagine? 
Who calls their wife shapely and beautiful? Leah had tender eyes. But verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel, so he answered Laban, I'll work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Come on, guys, let's be honest. Two of us are going to go to work for your father-in-law for seven years. Okay, how many would do that? I would. Guys, your wives are watching your hands. Come on now. <laughs> Laban replied, verse 19, better that I give her to you than to some other man. And Jacob said, yes, sir. Stay with me. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel. And they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. I mean, isn't that like, I mean, Prince Charming, it only seemed like a few days. Seven years of hard labor, just a few days. Then Jacob said to Laban, verse 21, since my time is complete, give me my wife so I can sleep with her. I mean, let's not, you know, waste any time. Let's just cut to the chase here. Um, so Laban invited all the men of the place and sponsored a feast. That evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and he slept with her. And Laban gave his slave Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her slave. When morning came, there was Leah. So he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me? There's several questions that are going through my mind right here. How did you not know who it was? Unless you were kind of preoccupied drinking something or something. He wakes up and, wait a minute, wrong one. That's a little bit messed up. But what was his expectation? Rachel, I have given seven years of my life, and I expected that after those seven years were completed that I was going to marry Rachel. Would that not bother any one of us? I think I'd be a bit bothered by it. Why have you deceived me? In verse 26, Laban gives him a perfectly understandable, acceptable answer. Laban answered, is it not the custom in this place to give the younger daughter in marriage before the firstborn? I don't think that would have worked with me. Just saying. Complete this week of wedding celebration, and we will also give you this younger one in return for working yet another seven years. He's like, are you kidding me? I just put in seven years, and you want seven more years? That was not part of the agreement. That was not part of the plan. And Jacob did just that. He finished the week of celebration, and Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife, and Laban gave his slave Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her slave. And Jacob slept with Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. Expectations were completely crushed. Fourteen years he had to work for the daughter of Laban. You know, let me just go back and share a couple of expectations. And I think many of us can relate. And there's another whole chapter here in chapter 30 that we'll touch some things on here in just a moment. But notice some of the expectations that Jacob had. First of all, Jacob expected to find a wife. Why? Because he was told to go out and do this. Just go here and God's going to bless. He's going to make you fruitful and you're going to multiply. 
and God is just going to bless, so he expected to find a wife. I did. I thought that one day as I went to college, I would find the right one, and God blessed me, but that was my expectation as well, like many of us. We expected to find a wife that would be our forever best friend, or a spouse that would be our forever best friend. And from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 17, Jacob expected to be blessed. Is that an unreasonable expectation? For those of us who walk with God, isn't it reasonable to expect that God is in some way and in some, some beneficial way to us, it blessed us immensely? I don't think it's an abnormal expectation. Number three, Jacob expected to marry Rachel. But it didn't happen right away. It didn't happen the way it was planned. And number four, we read from Genesis chapter 29, verse 30, that he expected to have children. He expected that God would bless him with children. And after all, he was blessed to go out and be fruitful and multiply. He expected that he was going to have children. But guess what happened? He did not have a child right away with Rachel. Didn't happen. I mean, Leah kept giving him children. I think six children he, had, she ended, he ended up receiving from her. But he expected that. But let's be reminded once again, God makes no mistakes. Just for a moment, think about this. Did God know that it was going to happen the way it did? Of course he did. He's God. Could God have changed the outcome? Of course he could have. He's God. But for whatever reason, God had some things that he was going to do in the life of Jacob to teach him to trust him. And I'm just telling you, when we have expectations that are not met, you can get bitter and ticked, or you can surrender. I think I've done both in my life. Maybe you have as well. I've had expectations, and I'm like, come on, Lord, really? I did all this for what? I'll just be honest with you. When I lived in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, and I finished my four years of college, and I'm working in a Christian school for $8,000 a year, that was not my expectation. Not even close. I mean, as the phrase goes, we were dinks. Double income, no kids. We were making a whopping 16000 together. Both of us teaching in a Christian school. Not my expectation of income. God had other plans. He taught us to trust him. And that's something you can't always learn when you've got a bank account full of money. What is God trying to do through the shattered expectations he's allowed us to experience? What, is the, what are the lessons that he's trying to teach you by not giving you everything that you want and desire? What is it that God's trying to do in your life by not giving you what you want? God does everything he does for his own purposes and his own glory. And all of us face circumstances that we would not pick, that we would not choose. I was thinking through this this week. Who's somebody in the Bible that did not expect something that God allowed? The first one that came to mind was Daniel. I don't think Daniel ever got up that morning and says, wow, I think this would be a great day to go spend it with the lions down in the pit. I mean, I know that the king hasn't fed them for a week and they're going to be starving. Let me just go jump down in there right now. Let's just get this done with. I don't think he ever expected that. But did God work through it? 
course he did. I don't think Jonah, in running from God, ever thought that for a moment, today is going to be a great day. I'm going to be swallowed by a great fish. Yes! I don't think he ever expected that. I don't think that there were some days that Paul went on a journey and comes into a place and they want to stone him and beat him and, and he says, thank you. I, wanted, I, I so look forward to this, Lord. Thank you. And in our vernacular, I don't think any of us wakes up in the morning and says, praise God, my car won't start. Yes, this is awesome. God allows things that we would not pick, that we would not choose. And he has a purpose and a reason behind it. But sometimes we don't know for years later. But here's what I have learned. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, all things work together for good. Every disappointment, every heartbreak, every situation that God allows is, is for a purpose. And all things, and that means all things, work together for good, but not just nebulously. It works together for good to those who what? Love God enough to trust Him. Do I love Him enough to trust Him that He knows what He's doing with my life? comes down to that. Do I love him enough to trust him? To them that trust God, them that are called according to his purpose. And then he goes on to say, what, what, what is God going to do through the difficulty? What's he doing through the trial? What's he doing through the, the negative things that he allows in our life? He conforms us more to the image of his son. He allows us to become more like Jesus through the difficulty and through the trial. I wouldn't pick it. I wouldn't choose it. I'm just telling you, there's been chapters in my life, as I'm sure there's been chapters in your life, I would not have picked them. If I could just read the book and say, that chapter stinks, let's just turn that chapter and go to chapter 7. Let's do away with chapter 6. God says, no, you can't skip the chapter. That's a very important chapter I need for you to go through. Got some really important life lessons that I want you to learn. Consider a couple of principles here. In fact, if you would turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 20. Just a couple of verses here that kind of stand out to me this week. In the year that the chief commander sent by King Sargon of Assyria came to Ashdod and attacked and captured it, during that time, the Lord had spoken through Isaiah, son of Amos, saying, Go take off your sackcloth and remove the sandals from your feet. And he did that, going stripped and barefoot. The Lord said, As my servant Isaiah has gone stripped and barefoot three years as a sign and omen against Egypt and Cush, so the king of Assyria will lead the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old alike, stripped and barefoot with bare buttocks, to Egypt's shame. And those, this is the key verse here, verse 5. And those who made Cush their hope and Egypt their boast will be dismayed and ashamed. And the inhabitants of his coastland will say on that day, Look, this is what has happened to those who relied on and fled to for help to rescue us from the king of Assyria. Now how will we escape? What was the situation here? He's saying, look, you better not have some false hopes. 
I think what he's saying here is you better trust me and not people. I don't know about you, but I found in my life that people kind of sometimes let you down. Anybody ever experienced that before? Yeah, I think every one of us. So when we have false hopes and we place all of our hope on somebody, you got to be careful. Because sometimes that's not who God's going to use to help you through it. And sometimes God says, don't trust them, trust me. I'm the one that can help you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just a couple of verses here, beginning with verse 16, he says this. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What's he saying here? If I dwell on what the problem is right here in front of me, I can't see what God's doing behind the scenes. Remember, we've been talking about this. In all these circumstances, we talk about life being unfair, getting through the tough stuff and the unfairnesses of life. Joseph, man, anybody looking at his life would say, that is not fair. I mean, his brothers hated him because of his dreams, and he was, you know, the, the golden child, you know, the special one, and he got the coat of many colors. But then he was sold, or put down into a pit, and then sold into slavery, and then resold again. But everything he did, God worked through it. But anybody looking at Joseph's life would come to the conclusion, is, man, that is not fair. You got to read just a couple more chapters into Genesis from where we're at. It's when Joseph comes on the scene. How God did eventually bless Jacob. Joseph was born. From every trial and disappointment, God brings blessing. If we allow him to. Every circumstance gives God the ability to work and show himself strong. I mean, Jacob was torqued. I mean, he wanted so desperately... To have a child with Rachel didn't happen. Not in his timing. Happened, but not in his timing. You know, positively, once again, Isaiah uh, chapter 55. Here's a principle that we need to learn through all these circumstances. Isaiah chapter 55, look at verse 8. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Think about that just for a moment. God says, your way of thinking? Nah. Not working. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Will you trust me? Because sometimes we just want to know the outcome. We want to control the outcome. We don't want to just know it. We want to control it. We want to be in charge because that's our nature as humans. We want to be in charge. We want to control the outcome. We want to make sure that everything's going to happen the way we want it to happen because that's what we do. And then God comes along with another verse like we see in Psalm chapter 115, verse 3. And he says, Our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. That's really encouraging, isn't it? God is in heaven doing whatever he pleases. And what pleases him sometimes doesn't please us. 
because we want our way and we're selfish and we want our expectations to be met. But as we said, through every difficult circumstance, God shows himself strong. You can get angry or we can trust God. Let's go back to our text here just for a moment in Genesis chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 1. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she envied her sister, give me sons and I, or I will die. And Jacob became angry with Rachel and said, Am I in God's place? Who has withheld offspring from you? Just for a moment, Jacob is, I mean, he's upset. And you could say from a human fleshly standpoint, who can blame him? I mean, he was given Leah when he wanted Rachel, and he finally gets Rachel and can't have a child with her. He's ticked. And here's his justification for it. God, am I not doing what you've called me to do? Am I not exactly where you want me? What is going on here? Anybody felt that way before? That was my Pennsylvania years. I mean, I graduated from Bible college. I'm in ministry serving God, and I can't pay my bills. And God is saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust me? And in my flesh, I'm saying, I don't want to trust you. I want the money. <laughs> I'm being honest. And you're there too sometimes. I just, God, I want it to work this way. And God is saying, <laughs> as long as you want to do it your way, I'm not going to do it that way. And notice what begins to happen here. There's an expectation that's not being met the way they want it to be met, so they're going to try and meet the expectation in another way. And the other way is not a way that we kind of so much do today. Here's my servant. Go sleep with her, and she'll give you a, a son. He's like, wait, no. I want Rachel to give me a son. And Rachel's like, I can't do it, so take her. They're going to reach the expectation one way or the other. Isn't that kind of how, how we kind of sometimes work in the year 2017 too? When I can't get what I want, I'm going to kind of somehow make it work some way, because some way, somehow, I'm going to get it. God is saying, just hold on. Just hold on. Eventually there comes a time when you have to just trust the Lord. So Leah gets, gives him one son, and then another son, and another son, and another son, and another son. Verse 13, Leah says, I am happy that the women call me happy. So she named him Asher. And she's just, life is good. She's in one world, and Rachel's in another. Verse 15, but Leah replied to her, isn't it enough that you have taken my husband? Now you also want me to take my son's mandrakes. And it just drama starts to unfold. But look at verse 22, chapter 30. We're almost done. Then God remembered Rachel. Isn't that a cool phrase? I mean, Leah's getting all the attention. She's having all the children. Rachel's back here saying, what about me? Hello? Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her 
and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son, and she said, God has taken away my disgrace. And she named him what? Joseph. I mean, how cool is Joseph? Look how God did some incredible, mighty, awesome things through the life of Joseph. You see, God blessed. It just wasn't in Jacob and Rachel's time. And not only with that, look at verse 25. And after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me on my way so that I can return to my homeland. Give me my wives, my children that I have worked for, and let me go. You know how hard I've worked for you. So he begins to work out the plans and negotiate what's going to happen next, and he leaves. And the rest of the story, we won't take the time to get into all of it. But God ultimately did bless Jacob. And he blessed him with Joseph, who would become a great leader. Not the way they anticipated or expected, but according to God's perfect plan. <coughs> Let me just kind of close by giving you three pieces of practical advice concerning expectations. I don't know about you, but we struggle with expectations. We all do. We have expectations. They're normal. Part of everyday life. But let me give you three pieces of practical advice concerning expectations. Number one, surrender yourself daily to God. I just find it easier to say, Lord, whatever you want to happen, let it happen. I trust it. Don't get me wrong. Let's not confuse that with our wants. We want stuff. We want things. We want circumstances to happen. But when they're filtered through, I surrender to you, Lord, it makes life a whole lot easier. Because God is perfect. He makes no mistakes. He does what he does for his own glory. And we can see this over and over. In fact, in fact Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 three says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. The bottom line is this. You have to surrender everything. Our wants, our desires, our goals, our very life, our health, our income, everything must be surrendered to God first. Say, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. That's not always easy. It's easier said than done. Well, you're more spiritual than I, no? Because that's a daily struggle every one of us face with, are faced with. Am I willing to surrender first to God and what he has for us? Number two, I think we need to keep our expectations real and honest. You say, well, what's wrong with wanting to be a millionaire? Probably nothing if that's what God has for you. But is that realistic and honest? How about better pray? God, would you just take care of my needs today? Isn't that what he said in the model prayer? Give me this day our, what? Daily bread. It's hard to trust God for the daily bread when we got pantries full and shelves overrunning. Do we really trust him for the daily needs when we have so much in the pantry? It's hard, isn't it? 
But if you also want to know the answer of whether or not God wants you to be a millionaire, he says, don't seek your earthly money. Just the store for more yourself. And number three, I think we need to be patient waiting on God. He'll work. I don't think Jacob wanted to be patient. Anybody else get that sense from the story? I mean, Leah was giving them, I mean, Leah, she's giving them son after son after son after son. He didn't want those sons. He wanted this son. He didn't want to be patient and wait. Because we live in a hurry up, get it now world. Same world that Jacob lived in is the same world we live in. So how do I know that? It's even got worse since Jacob day. He didn't have microwaves. I mean, you nuke a hot dog when you're hungry, right? You don't want to sit there and make a meal. You nuke it in the microwave. We want what we want when we want it, right now. And God doesn't always operate that way. It kind of irritates me sometimes. I want what I want now. God is saying, mm-mm, that's not how I'm working. But I think we daily need to surrender. Daily need to keep our expectations real and honest before God filter them through his desires for us. Number three, be patient as we wait on him. He will work. He's promised that. Philippians 1.6 says that he, we can have confidence in the fact that he who starts a good work in us will what? Finish it. He'll complete it. He's promised that. So we either trust him or we don't. Expectations that are not met can either make us bitter and upset and angry or they'll drive us to our knees to say, God, teach me through this circumstance what you have for me. It's a choice that we have to make. See, we don't get the privilege and the luxury of choosing what happens to us. Choices have consequences, for sure. But there's a lot of things that happen daily that we would not choose, that we would not pick. And God says, I've allowed them. What are you going to do with them? Well, God, that wasn't my expectation. No, but I'm still asking you what you're going to do with those. Will you learn from them, surrender to God's leading, or get angry? It's a choice we have to make every day. But I think we can learn from the story that God's timing is not always our timing. That God's ways are not our ways. And it's a choice daily of where we're going to put our focus and attention. Learn from it or get bitter from it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for your many blessings. But God, I pray that you would work through every one of our lives that are here this morning in a way that would be pleasing to you. I ask God that you would work in our hearts in such a way, Lord, that you'd help us to realize that you don't make any mistakes. That you daily do everything that you do so that you might be glorified in the end. So Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you would teach us what you'd have for us to learn through the, the trials, the disappointments, the shattered expectations that each and every one of us have at times. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and as we do.